Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Content warning. This episode of Chronically Chilled contains references to drug use and risk-taking behaviour. If you are impacted by anything you hear on the show, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. Hello and welcome to Chronically Chilled on 3CR, where we discuss all things chronic illness, what it's like to be chronically ill, and the social and systemic issues that come along with that. I'm Naomi Cheney, and today I'm hosting this show from Bunurong land. And I want to start today by acknowledging that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land, and I encourage everyone listening to find a way to pay the rent. Uh, and with that said, some exciting news for the Australian disability and chronic illness community. There's a new book out this week called Growing Up Disabled in Australia. It's the latest of the Growing Up series by Black Ink Books, which features the voices of diverse Australians. Each book features a series of personal essays and creative pieces from different communities. And it's really exciting to see the voices of disabled and chronically ill people now being represented. I'm here this evening with Carly Finlay, the editor of Growing Up Disabled in Australia, and Elle Gibbs, who's one of the contributors. How are you both this evening? I'm well. I'm Carly. I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Kulin Nation, and I also pay my respects to Aboriginal elders, past, present, and emerging, and thank them for telling stories on this land since the beginning of time. Brilliant. And Elle, how are you doing? And I'm Elle, and I'm from uh, coming to you from Wiradjuri country in uh, uh, what is also known as New South Wales. So it sounds very similar, Carly, but uh, we're a long uh-huh. way away. So. Yeah, and uh, this land always, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. But lovely to be here. And it's so exciting to have this book out in the world. And uh, uh, Carly, I don't know how you're feeling about this, but I'm a little bit nervous and a bit excited. Uh, I read the book about three or four weeks ago uh, when we got our con- contributor copies. And gee, it's good. So you've done an amazing job is the first thing I Thank wanted to say. How are you feeling I, about it? Um, I read the book again for the first time in a long time, about two weeks ago, when I narrated it. Uh, I'm the audiobook narrator, um, and I am just so impressed. It is a very, very good book, I would say. Um, and so many of the stories I was reading, I think I thought, gosh, I wish I'd written this. And then I thought, oh, my God, I'm so glad I got to publish this. It was so amazing. Yeah. But Carla, you were actually a contributor to one of the earlier books, weren't you? One of the growing up books. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in 2018, I got asked to write for um, Maxine Beniba Clark's Growing Up African in Australia. Maxine sent me an email and asked me if I could contribute. Um, my mum is South African and my dad is English. And um, it was only in recent years, probably 2017, that I started exploring race because I think for me, ichthyosis, the skin condition I have and my uh, facial difference has and disability have been more like taking up more space in my brain, I guess. I haven't really been able to think about it 
in a nuanced way or a deep way until quite recently. And so I'd written something quite briefly in about 2017 and Maxine asked if I could um, rework that for the book, Growing Up African. And on that day I said yes. And I also wrote to my agent, Jacinta Damaze, and said, can we pitch Growing Up Disabled? Because every time a new Growing Up book would be announced, people would say, what about Growing Up Disabled? So, the, you know, there was hunger there. So I did. I pitched it. And then within a week or so, we had a meeting scheduled with Black Ink. And, um, yeah, the rest is history. The book has been in progress for a very, very long time, mainly because we've had a pandemic, but also mm. because it, publishing takes ages. So that surprised you how long it, how long it took to put it all together? Um, well, a little bit. So I have previously released a memoir and that took two years from when I kind of started writing to signing the book deal to having it published and, and releasing it. Um, this took, I, I think the embargo period surprised me the most with this. So I signed the book deal in, uh, I think, August 2018 or July 2018, one of those months. Um, and we didn't announce it, that it was happening until December. Um, we announced it on Disability Day. So it was a very long time. And my agent was telling people, I'd told a few people, I remember Ben Law tweeted something about it. And I had to message him at like midnight. Ben, he, he broke the embargo. <laughs> He's like, oh, sorry, I forgot about embargoes. Um, and so, yeah, that took a really long time. But one of the things that I think took, took a long time was developing the kind of accessibility stuff that just hadn't mm. been considered before. And it's so often not considered in literature. So from the start, from our very first pitch, I was talking about access and how the book should look. But at that time, I wasn't, I hadn't published Say Hello yet. But um, I, you know, when, when I released Say Hello, I learned so much about like booksellers and events and inaccessibility. And, you know, that's been a real challenge. So I wanted to make sure all the writers, or firstly, the, the people who submitted their stories for consideration, had an accessible format and, and different ways to do it and then make sure the publishing editing process was accessible and all of the stuff and and I also worked on it uh, for the past year I've been working on a media kit for the contributors and also the outside media um, for reporting on the book so a lot of different projects going on at once talking about accessibility. Mm. Do, do you think those um, accessibility measures are going to be used for the for the growing up books in the future or do you think it's just going to be for the oh god I hope so I've done a lot of work <laughs> it's just I, I just I honestly when when I it's and it's really hard to talk about this because you have to be so pleasant and um polite when you're working with booksellers and publishers to sell your book but also you have to be so assertive so one thing I when when I was releasing my first book say hello um I would have to talk to booksellers and say well sorry that uh, that venue is not accessible for our audience and they'll say oh yeah but there's a there's a toilet 300 meters down the road and I said would you want to go to a toilet 300 meters down the road um and then there was the whole thing like we don't know if we should buy, book a venue because we can't guarantee that you'll sell out a, a room you know, and so that's really hard. It's really hard to convince people that accessibility is good business. And that particular bookshop that didn't want to book a venue, I ended up having 200 people there about, 
you know, 20 of whom were in wheelchairs, six people had ichthyosis, we had tons of different types of disabilities and impairments there. It was amazing. And the publisher said she'd never seen so many uh, different types of people, which was amazing. Um, so it, it is really hard to convince, you know, the publishing industry that we need accessibility. That's a whole nother topic. Um, yeah. It just tells true. you, doesn't it, what an untapped market that is and how excited people are about being represented. Mm. That they, they're so absolutely going to go to those events. So Elle, people might be familiar with the activism that you've done in the, in the disability community. Um, and you've talked about some of that on the show, but this was a much more kind of personal piece for you, wasn't it, that you did for this book? Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'm really nervous about this. I don't necessarily write personal. I really admire Carly for writing memoir because it's not something that I have done much and am not particularly comfortable with. People might know me for writing you know, articles about the National Disability Strategy or the NDIS. Um, and so, uh, or, you know, Senate inquiries. <laughs> but this essay is really about um, when I first got sick. So I didn't grow up disabled as a child. I um, had psychosocial disabilities as a teenager, but I got my autoimmune disease when I was 19. And I had a, a really pretty traumatic experience in um, in hospital, particularly that first year that I was sick. And then throughout my 20s, really, I, I was in and out of hospital often for months. And it was a very, very difficult um, period of time and a really a time that I'm not sure that most people who know me now know anything about. So I think part of it was also wanting to, to talk about some of the really difficult parts of being disabled. So um, for me, it was a lot about feeling uh, like I was in a battle with the medical system who wanted me to, uh, you know, tackle my disease in tiny, small bits. Um, you know, this, this, you know, we'll do, the, do this treatment for the next few weeks and we'll see how it goes. And I'm like, but I want to talk about my whole life. Thanks very much. Mm. Um, and it was a really hard time for me because everything, uh, my life had to go on hold so many times and I'd have to stop working or I'd have to stop studying. Um, like I, my degree took me six years to do. I don't even know how I managed to finish it in the end, but I did a lot of it from hospital. Uh, you know, it, it was very difficult to, to finish that. I, I was lucky enough to end up doing work that I could do from home. And this is, in the dial-up internet days, because I'm really old. Um, and uh, But it was very part-time. I was very poor and I relied very much on income support. So the disability support pension uh, was how I survived. And it was really challenging and really difficult. And uh, things didn't change until, you know, medications changed and, you know, things evolved and, uh, you know, there were treatments that they found that were a little more sustainable, but also because I really put my foot down in the end and just, I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't, you know, stump up their, I don't know, fortitude, whatever, to try yet again, you know, 12, 13 years later to keep trying. And, uh, you know, and I really wanted to, to have some say about what was happening to me. Um, so the essay is a lot about that and how, 
you know, my life is very different now. Um, so, you know, my disease is still pretty rampant and, uh, you know, um, it, it affects my arthritis as well as my skin. And then these days my heart and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so, you know, I was up at the cardiac clinic last week at the hospital, like never ends. Um, but I have a lot more control and a lot more say over what happens to me. And uh, I'm a lot less support. I feel a lot less apologetic about that. And I think I wanted to say to anyone who was going through that stuff, you know, there is sort of light at the end of the tunnel. There's another way of thinking about disability for me that I found really helpful. I think it's good as well, because I think people, you know, you become sick and you let the medical community really kind of dictate how you think about it and, and how, how you kind of behave around it. And I think what, what the story is sort of I mean what it the way it spoke to me was very much you can take control of this which I think is really good um I mean for a book that is essentially aimed at at younger readers I mean we're talking about growing up with disability you would assume that people who are currently growing up with a disability will get a lot out of this so I think that's I hope so I hope they do it with a bit more grace than I did (laughs) I I mean do it however you like really um yeah you know mine was done with a lot of tantrums and yelling and screaming and you know refusing point blank to go back to the hospital you know Um, arguing with the head of psychiatry that I'm not you know like anyway there was a lot of yelling and a lot of you know my friends helping me to do that like it really felt like I had to push back against you know lots of old dudes in white coats who you know were so sure of themselves and just didn't listen to me you know didn't listen for one second about what I actually needed or wanted which was to kind of come to terms with the fact that I was disabled and allow me the space and the time and the headspace to you know really kind of get to grips with what that actually meant and how I was going to live my life being a disabled person. Mm. Al, it's funny you were talking about the the tantrums and the yelling. And when I was narrating the book, um, I think people would know me as quite sweary online. I often say some swear words, but in person, I probably don't swear as much. And it was really hard to read out your swear words in your anger. I must say that was um, that was a tricky thing actually narrating. <laughs> like I think your book, your story is the second one in the book, and it it warmed me up because there's a bit of swearing later in the book. Um, but it, it warmed me, warmed me up for the swear words. So <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, I just kind of love <laughs> that this is the book of disabled people swearing generally, like people, because <laughs> there's um, this idea, isn't there, of the well-behaved disabled yeah. person who's yeah, well-behaved. Of, mm, yeah, I think w- with L, um, you know, I, I know that you're really nervous about airing your story but you wrote about that that you took drugs and that you were angry and I think that that's a real um contrast to what people expect not just from you but from disabled people in general because yeah, look, I was certainly raised to be a good disabled girl not mm, raised to I mean, be a disabled I was, girl but a good girl yeah, you know I was I was a messy kid before mm. I became disabled and I often said that getting sick saved my life because it made it, it made the fact that things were not okay really obvious <laughs> in a kind of uh, unmistakable kind of fashion, um, and and I got help 
you know, sort of fairly soon after, about two years after, and never really looked back. Uh, and I don't know whether I'd be here, to be honest, if, if that hadn't happened. So, you know, okay. I mean, I don't recommend it ever, you know, but that kind of ending up in hospital in such dire circumstances, uh, you know, and really having to have a think about, well, what's going to happen? I'm not going to survive if I keep doing this, you know. Mm. And it was a – so, yeah, I did say for a long time that getting sick saved my life. I mean, I was a bit sanctimonious about it, to be honest, by the time I, you know, <laughs> I, in my 20s I was a bit kind of like – yeah, it was – yeah, I used it as part of that stuff about, you know, I really took on board that, that stuff about, you know, my skin reflecting my self-loathing and because mm. I really did loathe myself. So I figured it was a manifestation of how I felt. And I really took on some of those really toxic, uh, you know, self-help crap about, you know, write aff- I, mean, I wrote affirmations in a notebook for five years because I really believed that Louise mm. Hay rubbish, that I could actually think myself well and lots of people around me confirmed that I lived in Byron Bay. There was a lot of kind of, you know, drink the herbal tea, you know, all of mm. that stuff and you'll feel better. And I really took all of that on, partly because I felt bad about being a fairly, you know, stuffed up kid, you know. So mm. it was a really, uh, it all got mixed up all at once. And so I didn't kind of have a good framework to kind of go hang on a minute I want to make some decisions about my life and it took a really long time probably longer than it should for me to be able to go where do I fit in and how do I get a framework for this and it really was that social model of disability because I was quite political and I was quite political about lots of things it had never occurred to me to be political about disability so even though I was a disabled person you know so (laughs) Um, I, you know, my disability was about me as a failure as a person, you know, or about what was wrong with me, about, you know, me being broken or, you know, something wrong with me rather than, you know, just a part of human diversity that I had a particular flavour of and that my access needs and the way I was treated in the world was actually a political and a social issue, not about me being Mm. a bad person. And that was so incredibly important for, you know, thinking about disability differently and not being ashamed, you know, because I think that there is so much narrative out there that disability is something to be ashamed of or illness, you know, that you've done something wrong if you're sick or if you're disabled. And there was, you've done nothing bloody wrong, you know. There are yeah. things wrong in the world, you know, that make it really hard to be sick and to be disabled. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with you at all. Mm, and that's such a common theme in the book that overcoming the shame and realising that you're not the problem. It's the, the world that's inaccessible. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR, 8.55am. I'm Naomi Cheney and I'm here with Carly Finlay and Elle Gibbs talking about their new book, Growing Up Disabled in Australia. So I've got a question for you both. Um, this book is specifically about Australian stories of disability. Do you think mm-hmm. that this the stories themselves are particularly Australian in nature or do you think that they represent experiences of disability that would resonate with audiences more internationally? Yeah, I think that the experience of disability is quite universal. Um, I know, like Elle said, it was when she discovered the social model and also the community that she felt 
a part of it, you know, worthy of perhaps calling herself disabled. Um, and I think that that is so, you know, from people I follow on social media and people who write to me that have read my work, so many people resonate when they realise the social model or they they talk, they, they read what I wrote or spoke about um, with discrimination. I feel like that is really universal. Um, but I do think there are particularly Australian themes in the book, particularly with some of the Aboriginal stories, Gail Kennedy's and Dion Beasley write a lot about the outback um, and the um, growing up in Aboriginal communities. I think that that's a really important thing. One of the things I did definitely see was the medical, you know, the problems with being stuck in the medical system. Elle mentioned it, but also Andy Jackson, um, mm. uh, would have mentioned it just, just so many people um melanie reese mentioned it as well um and and that's been a theme for me growing up as well the medical system uh and also one of the things i kept on keeping count of was the number of times eucalyptus was mentioned quite a few and <laughs> it was you know eucalyptus is a very you know I, I would say it's not our national plant but it's pretty up there you think of gum trees when you think of australia um and so that was really I always, I always nice think of because... the gum nut babies as part of my childhood yeah, as well like this babies. is this is a real kind of australian thing to have been reading yeah look here. i might wear that actually as my launch outfit tomorrow thanks for inspo I'm like, <laughs> i've got a lot of gum nut babies um outfits so i might might do that when i go to abc tomorrow um yeah i felt like that, that there were some real themes there and i know that l picked up similar hello oh, i felt yes. like that was a Sorry. cue for l so i was leaving <laughs> my apologies I was a glass of water. um look i do think that there um uh, one of the other things that i really picked up was segregation you know there were lots of stories about being kept apart um yeah. and i really think that that is such a a common theme here but also for other disabled people around the world I think that you know we often experience life differently like that that we we have a, you know people talked about you know special schools lots of conversations about um go you know having a different experience with education um living in different places uh you know working in different places and I think that that kind of common experience that I, you know, that resonates really closely with us. I mean, I, to be honest, I, I think that when non-disabled people read that, um, I'm, I'm really going to be interested to see whether they pick up on some of the themes that we've all picked up on, you know, that, you know, the experiences in the medical world, uh, segregation, um, and, and yet finding community. I think there's a lot of, uh, uh, the stories are about finding other disabled people and finding finding ways to. Um, I mean, there's some incredibly funny stories too. Like, I don't want it to be. I mean, my story is a bit doom and gloom, but you know, I mean, other people thank God Carly picked some funny stories too. Um, <laughs> and there are some really great ones in there because you know, I mean, sometimes disability is hilarious, and um, disabled people yeah. are very funny, as as you as yeah. we all know. Um, yeah. I, when I was narrating the book, I, I would say Alastair Baldwin, who is a comedy yes. writer, was <laughs> hilarious. And so each chapter took me about between 
30 and 60 minutes to narrate. I reckon I took an hour and a half for Alistair's because I just, I could not stop laughing at this chapter and it took so long to read because it was very funny. Like the the scenes that he he recalls is hilarious. Also, I couldn't get past the daylight saving and the, anyway, the, the daylight saving trial in WA. That was something I just found hilarious anyway and he wasn't intentionally meant to be funny I think I've missed yeah. the joke there what was the daylight saving oh, trial well, <laughs> uh, you have to read the book but he was talking about how there was this daylight savings trial in, in WA because WA doesn't have daylight saving and there was a tri- <laughs> there was a three-year trial about whether it worked or not and clearly it didn't work because they don't have it anyway you have to read the story I don't want to give away anything because it was okay spoilers spoilers that's no, I'm not, not- <laughs> we'll save it we'll save it for people reading the book um, you guys, I mean, you both have been in the disability community for a, for a very long time. Did you feel like you gained a new understanding at all of, of mm. the community and what it means to be disabled in Australia through being involved in this book? Uh, look, definitely. I mean, I think that I really enjoyed their huge variety of experiences. Like for me, that was, there was not a, there was hardly anyone's story that was the same. There were a couple of common themes throughout the book, but that's it. Like, the huge diversity of the stories. Um, I I really appreciated people's honesty, um, people's preparedness to uh, talk about some extraordinarily hard times and their bravery for doing that because um, it's not easy to do and I really appreciated that very much. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know the other contributors that I don't know um and I you know I really like that so um they were the things for me that I loved I'm I'm really looking forward to this book opening up lots of conversations because for us this world is really familiar um these stories are really familiar but I think for the wider public in Australia they are really not familiar so um Mm. I really hope people read it carefully and think hard about what it means for what more we've got to do about making, you know, the world that we live in far more inclusive for disabled and sick people. Mm. I I feel the same. I, I feel like so many people who aren't very prominent yet were really courageous in telling their stories for the first time. There are many, many people in the book who you'd probably know, but there were so many people who don't have a public profile yet. And that was um, really amazing to see their courage. You know, there were 366 people who submitted. So I've gotten to know a lot of people through the the reading process. Also, one thing I was really impressed with, and um, I guess this is my low expectations of an often... um, a sector that often has low expectations of people. Sorry if that doesn't make sense. But I was really impressed with a group of intellectually disabled people who were given the time to write at a conference for intellectual disability. I was really impressed that um, that there was that given to them, that opportunity. And, we, you know, we chose a, a person, a contributor from there, Carrie ann Messenger, who wrote two poems at the Valid Conference. So that was really great because I think, for me, it was a little hard to reach the intellectual disability community. Um, it, it can be hard with, I guess, gatekeeping at times. And so that that made me really proud. And the other thing was really, really good for me to read. I'm, I'm nearly, thir- no, nearly 40, uh, past 30. And 
learning about how disability was um, before my time. So we've got people who are elders in our community, Gail Kennedy, Fran Henke, Kath Duncan, um, and Yvonne Fain. Uh, they're all over 60. And it was really great to read their stories and learn just how much has changed and also see how little things have changed. So where can people find the book if they would like to read? It comes out this week. Okay, so blackinkbooks.com.au, I think. Um, but if you Google Growing Up Disabled in Australia, you can find it at online bookstores. Um, if you go into your bookstore and ask for it, um, it will be hopefully be there in independent bookstores. Um, also at the library, it's going to be in libraries. I know that a bunch of schools are picked picking it up and also it will be an audio book very soon I'm not sure how long the production will take for that but um, it'll be audio in audio form very soon audio in audio form very soon so definitely just google growing up disabled in Australia and if you know someone in the book if you meet Elle in the street uh, go and <laughs> can you sign my book <laughs> and and look there, there are various events happening all over the place we'll probably organize one where I am uh, and I know lots mm -hmm. of people are organizing smaller events in places where they are um, there yep. are various online events follow Carly particularly at Blacking Books um, around finding out where you can go um, there's lots of online things happening as well if that's accessible for you so um, yeah. yeah awesome so that's a few really good options on where to find the book Thanks, Carly and Elf, for what's been a very interesting discussion this evening. You've been listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR 855 AM. And if you missed the beginning of the show, don't worry. The podcast will be up on www.3cr.org.au slash chronically chilled in the next day or two. If you were impacted by anything you heard on the show tonight, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. We're on air at 6 p.m. on the first Wednesday of each month. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again in March.